1: Talking major championships uh, with a guy who's covered many of them, Scott Van Pelt. Scott, first of all, I, I try to find this online. How long did you go over and cover the uh, and call the play by play for the Open Championship?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, Tariko was always the host when when he was still with us, and we had the Open. I was always just doing, you know, I had I had a few holes, and then I would be in the tower from time to time, just because we were on for like you know fourteen hours a day. Yeah. But it's um. I should know the answer, but I don't. I mean, it was more than a couple, but not a ton because I, I, I probably only did four or five, maybe or something like that. But I mean, I went when I didn't when I wasn't doing like whole coverage, I was over there, you know, covering the open for either ESPN or for the Golf Channel. So it's the first one I did was 97 at Troon. I didn't do all since then, but I I, I, did, I did a bunch.
1: Well, I mean, you have a unique perspective as one of the few people that has really got to call golf at the Open Championship as well as at the Masters, just because the, the way the networks have kind of crossed over. Mm-hmm. I, I always kind of struggle with which one is my favorite between the Masters and the Open and when, whichever one is next is usually my favorite one. Is it? Is Do you have a kind of a favorite uh, for you to call? Yeah, well,
0: here, here's how I here's how I cheat that question. Augusta National is my favorite place in the game to go. The open championship is my favorite event to cover. And right. that's 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 such a bullshit answer because it's not an answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't I can't I can't choose. But the way I always frame it is like this. The open championship, like I defer, and I've always said it this way, like they invented the game and they played the open longer than any other major. And is it perfect? No, but it's perfect in its imperfection. Um, and, and you know, the, the weather is the great line of defense. Sometimes the golf course can reward a bad shot and sometimes it can punish a great one. And I know that people don't love that necessarily, but I'm, if you love the game and you've never gone, go once and then get back to me and, and let me know where you, where you land on this. Cause it's, um, it's my favorite event to cover was the open
1: championship. Well, if this, if you're going to go this year, hopefully you've already got tickets. I was reading this week that they've sold out of 190,000 tickets. And for the first time ever, they're not going to have walk-up tickets available, which is always one of the things I've always loved about it. Like I did, I went into Burkdale and I literally just didn't have a ticket for like one of the practice rounds walked up. It was like 20 pounds and you can walk right in. And It's just the, the way the whole approach towards uh, the, the open arms that they greet you, not only for when you go play the golf courses, but also attend the tournaments over there has always stunned me.
0: Well that's that's such great context because I didn't know that was the case. If that's if if they're We're saying in advance of it don't come, like don't just turn up without a ticket, that's amazing because for years you say it right. It was like come one come all. I mean, it's just a, it's a field in Scotland in many cases, you know, just we got room for you. So if they're saying there's no more room, that's um that's a pretty good tell of of what, you know, just the level of anticipation they have to have this come to Portrush.
1: Well, hopefully I have that right. But what do you, I guess, kind of, now that you're not, you're not not going over and not calling it over there anymore, mm-hmm. how closely do you follow it and what do you know about Portrush and, and uh, what are you expecting for this year?
0: I'm totally blind on Portrush. Like, I mean, I know, like, I know it the way you know the, the courses that people just... Rattle off when they talk about, oh, Port Rush. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Of course I know about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I say, yeah, yeah, like I know. I don't know anything about Port Rush. I mean, <laughs> other than that, it's one of the courses people talk a lot about and have reverence for. When I covered them, you know, the Rota that they talk about, whether it's Trune or you know, Lytham or whatever, Royal St. George's, pick one. Uh, Muirfield, which is so pure. Obviously, St. Andrew's, which is in its own category. Um, you know, there was a familiarity with them because maybe you've been uh, to a couple or, you know, three. Or, in, in the case of St. Andrew's, I think I was maybe there three times, maybe four. Whatever it was, it's it's not enough. Uh, I don't know anything about Port Rush, other than that, like I said, it's it's well regarded. And as far as following it, I'll do what I always do. I'll be awake it'll be on i'll be pissed off that i'm not there and i'll start watching and i'll hate watch out of anger (laughs) and then somebody good will be out there and then they'll start playing well and then it'll be four in the morning i'll be like i gotta go to sleep at some point i i love it as i mean like i said with with where it ranks for me is is my favorite one to to cover and follow it's just there's something about the the charm of of being awake late or early or however you look at it that i'll i'll consume a ton of it and when when Tariqo and I were part of that crew covering it, we would always just say, hey, let us know, you know, where are you? And it was so cool on Twitter. One of the rare times when Twitter can be used in a fun way. It's like, you know, I'm on Long Island. I'm in New York. I'm in Philly. I'm in Florida. I'm in Chicago. I'm in L.A. and I haven't gone to sleep yet. You know, just people would tweet you and let you know where they were watching. And it's it's this you, – you experience this because you understand it. It's, it's like this shared – You know, we're all out here and we're all we're all putting a pot of coffee on or we're just bleary eyed and we're going to stay awake. You know, that that to
1: me is what the open is. It's only the hardcore fans that get up and do that. And it's usually some of the nicest ones or, you know, they're they're all kind of in in it for the right reasons and in it there to have fun. And it is kind of one of the things I was actually I did a podcast with some guys from the UK when I was over there two years ago. And we were just—they were, just, were asking about you know watching traditions in the U.S. And they were stunned when I said like one of my favorite memories is getting up super early and watching golf on TV ever since I was a kid. And they're like, "Wow, people get up really early to watch the British Open." I was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, man, it's like a, one of the highlights of the year."
0: No question. I mean, it, it it really really is, and it's funny that the um the the I'm not a catchphrase guy, but the the, the one sort of catchphrase that I do. Is me doing Sam Torrance, and all I say is useful. And the story behind that is, it was one morning. It's seven o'clock in the morning, and the beeb is on. And a guy, it was like Henny Otto or somebody, okay. And he hits a shot. There's complete silence. It's the a, a pitter patter of rain, and the ball lands in the green, which probably woke Sam up. <laughs> and and Sam in the in the in the broadcast booth, all he says is. That's uh, useful. Cool. <laughs> then silence again for like five minutes. And I'm like, that's just brilliant. Like in golf television, the less you say, the better. Sam Torrance wins because all he had to say is useful. And I and then he might have gone back to sleep. Um, so to me, like that's the, in, in, in one word, that's the open.
1: And I, I listen, I could sit here and do this all day of all the reasons why, what makes me so excited about this turn. But one of them though, too, is how much British and Irish fans appreciate like not mediocre shots but just a really solid shot to the fat part of the green how loud of an applause you'll get for that or a really good lag putt if you ever notice they cheer they clap really loudly for really good lag putts
0: what well, right cuz and i mean this is the cliche but it really is it's the understanding of when you have made the proper play like you hit a big old flop shot and you could knock it close and maybe that gets a little bit of an ooh from the crowd, but more, it's more like, well, that wasn't what you were supposed to do. That wasn't a sensible. That wasn't proper. It worked, but you make the 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 proper links play, and they they acknowledge that uh, with the understanding that you did what the golf course sort of asked you to do.
1: Yeah, I I could watch link. I mean, the uh, Irish Open is this week at Lahinch. I'm not sure if you've gotten to watch any of that, but man. As soon as that calendar hits July and we get kind of this little three week rush of Lynx golf, I can I can watch I, I can watch it literally all day if I had the option. But uh, I was curious if you while you worked um, the, the British Open, did you ever did you guys ever have to talk about what you called it? Was it ever referred to as the British Open and did you get corrected to calling it the Open? Because we kind of have a running gag here. It It pisses off the British fans more than anything when we call it the British Open. But did you ever get scolded for that?
0: No, no, scolded no, but I, I'm glad you asked this because we get, you know, we take so much crap for, you know, patrons, second cut, uh, se- first and second nine. And obviously I'm using the Augusta, uh, lingo, right? Well, we call it that cause they call it that it's as simple as that. And, and over there, it's simply referred to as the open championship. And we the the branding of it has become that like they just it's just that clear jug and it says the open championship like it didn't say british open because it's the open it doesn't need to doesn't need to differentiate itself from you know what it is as the open um so we all just called it the open and none of us would really ever even say british because that's not what it's called and we would call it like the first game or the second game or the third game because again you know that's what they call it. When you'd hear Ira Ropeson, the legendary guy on the first tee, and you know here's the the third game of the twenty whatever, <laughs> oh, you know it was like the third game, the fourth game, like that's what they call it. So we wouldn't call it group; we'd call it game because that's what they call it. Yeah. So you know, of course, you're going to get a little bit of eye roll from people and whatever, but I, I can't I can't be bummed out about people that don't get it understanding why you're doing it. Um, but that's the answer. There was no, no one was sort of lording over you to say, to say it. We just all kind of policed ourselves and mm. called it what it's called. Cause it's called the open.
1: Hmm. You're not helping you know our saying? case. Yeah. Well, you're not helping our case though. We've always, I mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine caring about it, but like, like I said, every time we call it the British open, people get all upset. So we actually started calling it the UK British Open presented by her <laughs> presented by Her Majesty the Queen, which just pisses well, people off. If you are going to if you are going go that route and make it, if you are going to
0: have your fun and have a joke, then by all, go all in. I am not going to. I am not telling you not to do that. I am just telling you why we. I am explaining to you for the, 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 the exact same reason we call. What anyone else would be called fans or a gallery, we call patrons because that's what they call it at Augusta, and that's what they call it over in the UK, and, and, they, and we just follow suit. That's all.
1: Uh, you you kind of hinted at it there. I was going to one of the things I had written down was to see to test out your Ivor Robson impersonation. Was that the was that the full is that the full investment that you're willing to make on the podcast for it? Uh, not, I mean, you know,
0: all the tea from USA, Jim
1: Furyk. <laughs> I mean, everyone does the same.
0: It's just some version of sort of sing songy you know Hideki Matsuyama <laughs> and just the whole idea like him and Scott Hansen, like the whole like my buddy from the Red Zone channel like the idea that you stand your post and don't go to the bathroom the whole day like you can go you can step aside you know you got enough time in between games and, and Hansen you just run a highlight bro go to the bathroom it's okay we love you you're great you're allowed to go you're allowed to leave your post but none, neither one of those guys will ever leave his post uh, when, when he was supposed to be manning the station but he was a delightful guy everybody loved him and, and um, for years he was just He was just ubiquitous. There he was, standing there on the you know rain and wind and weather. There was Ira.
1: Well, and he he had the uh, his kind of going away party on the Sunday of the 15 Open Championship, and then end up going to a playoff. And I think they had to, I think they had to pull him out of a pub to get uh, to make the announcement during the playoff. If I remember right.
0: Yeah, I mean he was. I mean, isn't that great? After all those years, and it's like you know I'm off the clock. Well, no, actually you're not. We got four more holes.
1: (laughs) Well, what did you ever get to like socialize when I know you're probably only there for a short period of time and you got uh-huh. a ton of work going on uh, while you're there, especially for as many hours as you were on the air. But th- do you get a chance to kind of pop around from pub to pub? And I was curious how, how often you really get recognized uh, in the UK versus, you know, uh, back home.
0: Well, we would always go around town. I mean, and there was, it's, it's the the beauty of, of those towns is, it's, it's funny. It's like there's, it's like this stereotypical town. If you picture it, there's, um, what they call a chemist, which is what we call a drugstore. Then there's, um, a fish and chips takeaway, which has like the oddest combinations of fish and chips, shish kebab, and pizza. And for whatever reason, the, the Italian restaurant in, in so many of these towns, in, in in Scotland, is run by an Indian family. So there's an Indian <laughs> family with exquisite Italian food in Scotland. Whatever, fine. We will be back tomorrow night. And that's what you do nightly. Now, the, the craziness is that it's it's late because it goes on forever because it gets dark so much later that you might end up going for a dinner at, you know, 10 to 11 o'clock at night, but so be it, and it's packed. And then, you, you know, if you wander back, pubs not so much just because – you know the, the the alarm clock was going to go off early, and you know it would it would get late early if you if you mm-hmm. took a turn into a pub. Um, but but the charm of the town, um, for sure you'd always go around. And I left out one important thing: chemist takeaway place, Italian restaurant run by an Indian family, and a bookmaker uh, on every corner. <laughs> there was a bookmaker. Yes, and and everybody just would step in and take a, a flyer on somebody because it's just what you're kind of meant to do. And now that's we're following suit in the states although it's not as ingrained in the in each town the way it, it is over over there but for sure you 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 take advantage of the town and as i'm saying this i'm i can see saint andrews in my mind that's mm-hmm. you know and that's it's the, that's the greatest place obviously of all of them that the, the old gray town or the old gray tune as they say it's it's just uh, it's it's incredible and there are all these great streets and and it each has its own sort of charms and places that you might go. And and I can see them. The cobblestone streets is plain as day as I'm as I'm remembering this with you. Um, as far as getting noticed, sure, some. But I mean, it was invariably some American that had gone over to watch. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you know some guy in uh, Glasgow, you know, saying you're that guy from the telly. No, <laughs> it uh, never happened. That that not that didn't happen.
1: Well, on that note of the bookmaker, it's it's funny like people will just randomly strike up a conversation with you too, like like and ask who you're backing, like who are you backing? Like they assume if you're there to watch that you have bet on somebody, and they'll they'll tell you all about all the things that they've bet on, and and uh, it's just that whole friendly nature. On that note too, have you looked over the odds at all this this year? Uh, going into this this coming championship, and do you have a f- uh, anything jumping out at you, or or favorites, un- underdogs? What do you think? Beca-
0: and, and one, just one last note on the on the who are you backing over there? Like for, for years here, it was sort of that taboo nature of gambling. Where if you did have a bet, it was taboo over there. If you don't have a bet, they look at you sideways. Exactly. Place, you know? Like what's wrong with you? What are you a cop? Um, <laughs> what are you a cop? <laughs> exactly. They, they don't they don't want you to. Uh, they're just not interested in the conversation. If you're. If if you're not, uh, you know, at least having a uh, having a bet. But um, as far as the odds go, I mean, it's the, the flavor of the leaderboard will definitely be different than than here, just because that's what the open tends to give you, particularly early. Like, I, I, what are the do you have? I, I'm not. Sitting i got him of here computer. if you want. I can
1: run through him real quick. It's Brooks. What's, what, are the odds
0: on, what are the odds on Wallace
1: right now? Matt Wallace is 50 to one.
0: That's a guy like there's a a guy like that.
1: If he's high on a leaderboard
0: early, that 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 wouldn't surprise me at all. It would make total sense. You know, Pepperell last year came from out of nowhere. Admitted he was bombed the night before and played hungover and ended up having to hang around in case he made a playoff. Like, th- I will tell a betting story at some point um, about and about a guy. I'll, I'll I'll stop right now and just tell you. I was out. <laughs> I was going to say you can't tease it like that. I'm going to make you tell it. I was out. You asked, do you go out? Yes, I was out. I saw a player, an American player, and he was absolutely, he was like a, like a zombie, like a functioning zombie. <laughs> That's how if you, like he was, he was completely, completely blotto drunk, took a wrong step off, a uh, off the step and uh, I mean off the uh, curb and fell down in the street in front of me, but wasn't injured. Was just laughing. Like, look at me, I'm drunk, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. I immediately find out who is this person paired against tomorrow so that I can bet as much money as I can against this person. I can see where this is going from a mile away. Uh, Of course you can. So what happens? I – go I go with like this is early on in like the days of me covering it don't have a lot of money in the old account but I'm going to unload and go against this guy and I want to say he was like matched up against S K O or somebody <laughs> that made like a brief appearance on open championship leaderboards and I don't know what he's doing at the moment it might not have been s k ho but it was it was it was a player from japan and and all you need to know is that that player from Japan played pretty well on Sunday, but that American that fell down in the street in front of me was tied to the low round of the day on sunday oh my God. which is one of the great rounds ever played in golf history because eight hours earlier he <laughs> fell down in the street so um i uh i I learned my lesson there about the ability for certain players to play hurt and um and why there's no such thing as a sure thing.
1: Which course was this at? So we could try to uh, let people nope. No. No.
0: Nope. <laughs> no, nope. nope. because you you'll figure it out. You'll go back and you'll be you'll be able to piece it together. And I'm trying to think did I ever identify this guy in telling this story and I don't believe I have because you got to, you know, you got to protect the uh you got to protect the innocent. Um and and by the way, he did nothing wrong. He was just over- yeah. overserved and shot a hell of a round on Sunday. But hey, listen, Pepperell admitted to as much last year. So guys like Wallace, Pepperell, just Euro European tour players, I expect to see guys who we don't necessarily think of first off here in the States um, when it comes to the majors. But as we tend to see, and, and Tarico coined the term leaderboard gravity, which is such a great way of describing it, the longer things go, um, you know, 72 holes, you, you tend to weed out pretenders, which means – you know I, the the Xander Shoffleys of the world seem to be like I take a flyer on him, even though I'm sure his odds are pretty short. You know, people like people like him. Uh, obviously, the Kepkas of the world. Um, I, and I, but I I don't have any like I don't have any Portrush sort of um, data to go off of of oh this guy loves this course. I don't right. know. I don't know enough uh, when it comes to that. But I mean, sometimes you can you can trick yourself with that anyway. But I, 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 I don't have an, a favorite. I mean, more than anything, I'm just looking forward to watching with the uh, sort of unknown of all right, what's what's what do we got here? Like, wh- where's the really good short par four? Where's the, I just I don't know anything. It's, it's fun being blind.
1: Well, it, it, if I can take away a little bit of that blindness, it's going to be I think one of I guess for a really casual golf fan, a criticism of the Open would be when they turn on the TV that the golf courses look ugly. Now, Port Rush is not going to have that issue because not only is it like fun links golf, but it also is set up against an ocean with incredible views. Like The fifth hole, I'm, I am wouldn't be surprised if they had about eight cameras around that green because it's just going to look right down the coast, beautiful white cliffs in the distance. And they actually took two, the original 17th and 18th holes. Uh, they took those and I believe there's going to be hospitality on those. And they built two new holes out of what was the adjacent course next to them and build a par five and a par four over there that are now the seventh and eighth holes. So the original 16th is going to be the finishing hole, and they really took out the two weakest holes and added two stunners in there, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a weak hole in there now.
0: Well, I've seen, I mean, I've seen all the beauty shots. I mean, and as I say, I, I know enough to know that it's supposed to be spectacular, but it's just, whereas, whereas if it were Troon or if it were, you know, Muirfield or whatever, I can clearly picture, mm. uh, and, and you know, it, 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 I go back and forth. I love that. Like I, you asked me about Muirfield and I can visualize looking down the hole I was sitting at at 17 and watching Mickelson make that putt on 18. And r- like, as I speak right now, I have I have goosebumps, chicken skin, as my man Neil Everett would call it, because I'll never forget looking down that grandstand and watching everyone stand on their feet in unison and just roaring as Mickelson made that putt. I have those kinds of memories about a bunch of those courses because I was lucky enough to go there. In this case, you know, they'll make their memories this year, um, which will be which will be awesome. But it's just it's so strange when you have literally nothing to kind of compare it with and to.
1: A quick break for a word from our friends at Callaway. I was talking to Chad the other day um, on January 14th, which was the day after the Epic Flash and the new product lineup came out. I was a 3.3 handicap, and I just actually broke the sound barrier. I am in the plus category for the first time in my entire life. I would have to say it's a pretty good testament to the product lineup from top to bottom this year, and the performance uh, for Callaway is showing in other ways as well. Callaway is the number one selling iron at every player ability level right now. Apex, number one in player's distance iron. Rogue is number one in game improvement. And Big Bertha is number one in super game improvement. I don't know what that means. I still think they're kind of fat shaming Big Bertha a little bit. They didn't even, I don't even play either of those irons. I play the X-Forge irons, and that's what's helped me go from 3.3 to a just below scratch in six months' time. It's a pretty impressive accomplishment for Callaway as they continue to push the boundaries of iron performance in every category. Visit callawaygolf.com iron selector to see which of the number one irons in golf are right for your game today. Let's get back to Scott Van Pelt. What I've always loved about this championship, though, is how, you know, when you and I talked a little bit about Beth Page going into it, you just, I remember you saying it's got to be a bomber, it's got to be a big boy. Like we almost kind of knew the brand of player we were going to get for the winner. But as long as this is going to be 7,300 yards, I think it is, which is pretty long. Um, for you know a link style golf course by for, by their standards, but by no means does that mean it has to be a bomber or somebody that gets ruled out just because of how much the ball's going to roll on the ground
0: no, and then there's the, there's the old wild card there um, you know the weather is the is the in, in, incredible equalizer i 'll never forget again, this was Muirfield. It was the year Duffy Waldorf was in the last game. Shout out to Ira Robeson. <laughs> um, and and it was the year the weather came in there. 02? The year Tiger shot like, yeah, Tiger shot like 80 or something or 82 and was, famously like made a birdie on 18, turned his hat around backwards and gave you like the one sign like I finally made a birdie. It was the worst weather I've ever seen. And look it up. Like the last seven or eight groups. Uh, on Saturday, so these are fourteen guys who've played the best for two days, and nobody broke forty on the front that day, um, because this weather arrived. And I, I, I remember vividly standing on eighteen, and Davis Love the Thirds walking up, and I just, I'm shaking my head, and you can see him kind of squint, like to go, to go what, and I point like, and he turns around and looks at me and mouths, holy shit. And it was the end of days. It was like ghostbuster clouds were coming. And if you finished before it ended, you had a chance. If you didn't, you had no chance. And that's the thing about, about obviously the open is, um, you're at the mercy of the weather gods. And the beauty of the RNA is they set their golf course up. And if it's there's no, if there's no wind, if there's no weather and 16 under is good enough to be the champion golfers, great. And if four over is great and they don't care. And in saying that, I should say to the USGA, Hey, you are concerned about Pebble. Like, what are you going to do? They didn't mess with it. And then people were pissed about that, you know, so you, you kind of can't win sometimes with course setup, but the, to me, the RNA, they, they get it right more than anyone in the sense that they just, they prepare it. They, Show you where the tees are. Put the put the pins in the ground and the holes in the ground, and say, "Go, go get it." And whatever it is, it is.
1: Well, if I remember right, that that Saturday, that O two, that was a like an unpredicted. Like they did not th- expect that weather to roll in, and some players got caught without the proper gear on. Is that am I rem- remembering that right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. I mean, it was a complete. To complete catastrophe yeah. like i mean i remember talking to tiger afterwards and he said he hit it he said he hit a six iron and i'm gonna get the numbers wrong now but he said he hit a driver absolutely on the screws into the wind 180 and then hit a six iron downwind like 300 now obviously you get links roll blah 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 so, so it's it's you're, you know you're kind of not comparing it to anything that people in the States would get. But suffice to say that into it, you had no chance. And then even downwind, good luck. How are you going to make it stop? And it was, you're right. People, you you always know the weather's coming, but no one knew it was going to be that bad. And because there's no electricity in the air, like they just kind of shrug and go, you know, play on. They didn't stop, you know, but the water wasn't puddling. And so they just, it was, I'm telling you, it was two hours of the, of the most insane stuff I can ever remember seeing.
1: It happened fast. I, I, it's on YouTube. I, was, I watched it in, within the last couple of years. I mean, it comes and it's just like, looks like the worst weather you would ever want to, you wouldn't it want was. to play golf and in it. Like you absolutely no, would not. But like you said, no. I remember watching that as a kid and being like, how are they not call, How are they playing in this? But they, unless there's lightning and unless you can't putt on the greens, they will play golf over there.
0: Correct. Or there is the the old, you know, the great equalizer, which is the reason why Ira had to finish. Part of the reason we finished on on that Monday at, at St. Andrews was because of wind. And you, especially at St. Andrews, you, when you get out at the loop there and it's totally exposed, um, you know, if if the ball is oscillating just because the wind is is so strong, that that can happen as well.
1: Yeah, those are two of the moments I was getting ready to ask you about, though that you mentioned. One was Phil coming down in thirteen, and then as well uh the O two at Muirfield. But I, I, I was just kind of wanted to throw it out too, and we may have covered some of them. But some of the most like bizarre things that you've ever seen at the Open, and there's always something. And like in fifteen, like I, I you kind of forget about how ridiculous it was that. They had, the wind was blowing balls off the green because they had shaved him so tight at the at the 15 Open Championship. And I think back to Tom Watson and all the things that have happened in the last 15 or so years. Is there any kind of moment that sticks out to you the most as being the wildest? Speaking of
0: Watson, he had a hole in one.
1: Where was that?
0: I'm trying to remember where the hole in one was, and and this is this is what happens when you cover so many of them. You, you it, it, your memories get get faded. But but the, what I'm getting at is that he makes a hole in one, and we're coming back out of break. Okay, so it's like I've got my holes for argument's sake. I've got seven. I got four, seven, eleven, and thirteen for argument's sake are my holes, and. I should remember the course, and I should remember the hole, but I don't. I just remember Tom Watson made a hole-in-one. We were coming out of break. I was taking us out of break. He makes the hole-in-one live, and I just start freaking out and describing the, the hole-in-one that Tom Watson just had. It was Sean McDonough's hole. So <laughs> in golf, you, 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 you wait for moments like this, and here's Tom Watson, all right? Tom freaking Watson <laughs> making a hole-in-one in the open. It isn't my hole, and I've just taken the ball, and I'm running. And to this day, McDonough is as gracious about it as he could be, and we laugh. But like he would have been within his rights as a golf broadcaster to come into the tower where I was and murder me, because <laughs> I just took it, and it wasn't mine.
1: <laughs> 2011 at Royal St. George, does that sound right?
0: I, I, absolutely, that's it. Sixth and it was so... Yep. And it was, it was incredible. And then I just started talking And and again in my, in defense of me, the indefensible moment, I was bringing us back and it happened. And I just, I just started talking. So that was the thing that happened that no one else would know. It wasn't, was kind of odd, but it was for me and Sean McDonough and everybody else on our crew. Um, but I mean... The the balls rolling off the green. That that one morning at St Andrews, where like they were going to restart, and then it was the the conditions were such that it was it was really that was one time where I I know the players were really really sideways with the RNA, like for you just they they were in no position to restart because there were actually some players on the golf course that were stopped and other players that were playing, and the weather was the the wind was so bad that time that it was. Uh, you know, it was just not a not a great moment.
1: Um, well, did you ever hear that story of uh, what Brooks Kepka said to one of the officials during that? That basically he was kind of one of the reasons that they ended up stopping play. But did you ever hear that story? Of what he something said?
0: Something about him? I'm not I'm not fucking playing because yeah. of my balls moving. Something to that effect. It was
1: even better than that. It actually comes from your colleague Kevin Van Valkenburg. But uh, it was a story of you know the a an official had said to him some, something, and Brooks had something back, and. Official said, "Well, I am a sir, and you will address me as such." And Kepka said, "I don't give a fuck who you are. I'm not playing until my ball stops moving,
0: <laughs> sir." Well, let me tell you, sir. I, yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I knew it. Was, I knew it involved. Yeah, I remember the sir thing. Well, they take that sir stuff quite seriously there. Um, you know, at this point, he could say, "And you can call me." You know, a three time major champion who ain't going to hit this ball, sir. That's what. A, that, I mean, those moments are. Are are unique to this event, I think. Um, yeah. You know, having thirds tell you what to do, and then a guy saying, "I'm not going to play because the ball's oscillating on the green." You don't get that much, you know.
1: And and stateside majors. Well, that's funny enough. That day you're talking about, that Saturday at uh, at the at uh, at St Andrews, I was there. I was walking the streets that day, and I actually I walked right by you. I said hello. We have actually briefly met in person. I'm not sure if you knew that, but we had nothing else to do that day, so we we just got buried ourselves in pubs and i swear to god i think we drank for 15 straight hours and i
0: bet you did and and all, us on the air that day we would have liked to have been drinking for 15 hours because we had nothing to do the only problem is we were on the air so we we were having to we were having to kind of make it up as we went along and you know and that's where the brilliance of a guy like terrico is just on full display because i mean we can all ad lib you know but i mean at some point it's like you're you're going on hour 6 of just making it up because nobody knew what was going to happen and when, and then they finally had to pull the plug because it just became evident that we weren't going to be able to, um, you know, to, to, to play. But uh, I do remember the, 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 meeting. It was really one of the highlights of my, my open championship <laughs> it's The busiest career. You
1: were all day, probably the whole time, but yeah, we, uh, we had a 6 a.m. tea time the next day to play the castle nice. course. And, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin van Valkenburg loves telling the story of trying to rouse me out of my sleep. Then he just, we, it never happened. I overslept by like four hours and we never made the tea time, well, but
0: yeah, that, that's, that's not oversleeping. That's called, I was in a, I was
1: drunk. Coma, that's is what you pretty were. Pretty much what it was. Uh, I
0: wish the guy that, I wish the guy that did, shot that great day, great, that great round that day would, <laughs> would have missed his tea time. It would have saved me a great deal of misery. But uh, have you ever played Prestwick? Did you ever see that course?
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah.
0: You know, this, th- th- for, for the people that are listening, Prestwick is the home of the first open And there's there's one hole that uh, there's a bunch of holes where you gotta ring bells because the tee shots are blind and you gotta let people know that you've gone through and you have no way of knowing where they are. But when I played there, there's two things. When when I played there there's a book that you sign, you know, just wherever you are from, just to say where you play and like the the Palmer and and Nicholas and those guys were like all dog-eared, right? Where you can see that these guys have been there and I signed. And at the time I was young, not belonged to a club or whatever else. So me and my buddies play at this par three course in Lewis, Delaware, called the midway par three. (laughs) And so I signed that book, Scott Van Pelt, Royal Midway. And Midway is a $16 all-you-can-play <laughs> par-3 where people mostly have their shirts off and drink a lot of beer when they play. And I'll be headed there soon to, to uh, have our yearly tradition with my best friends where we play this par-3 course. So I signed Royal Midway in the book at Preswick, But the uh, story goes that the 14th hole... It's called the Narrows, and there was a guy that played there every day. And when he died, he said, "I want my ashes spread on the fairway here, so I can ensure that no one will ever walk across my grave." <laughs> what, which is such a great metaphor for the whole of of, of golf there, and just how how narrow that uh, that golf course is. I loved it. I thought the charm of it was undeniable. Oh yeah,
1: that place is that's a really really special place. They've done such a good job, like kind of preserving it, and that you feel like you're playing in a museum. Yet at the same time, like you're getting like a full full proper. T- test i thought it was going to be i mean gimmicky is kind of a word you know that people would use to describe it because of how freaking ancient it was but that's just kind of the way golf courses were back there and it's kind of a it's a different adaptation of what it originally was i mean it golf has been through so many different time periods of how many holes there were out there and all that but it is right what's what's the year that you were on there people send people to go look for that 97 they still got the same
0: book there i don't know i it was 97 because it was the first year i went and i went in 97 and in the book in 97 if you if you go to Presswick and you look at that book in july of 97 you'll see me and you will see Scott Van Pelt Royal Midway.
1: <laughs> what what uh do you get to play a lot when you when you would go over? I mean, how do you have the time no, to do that? I, I didn't think I so.
0: I wouldn't bring my clubs just because there's always these horror stories about people losing stuff. And and like one year I didn't get my bag for, you know, three or four days, and you're having to run around and try to buy stuff, which when you're six six is, right. is not the easiest thing to do. And so my mm-hmm. fear was always like that I'd be chasing my clubs around the UK and I just didn't want any part of it. So we would, now we would play, you know, we'd, you'd, you could either, you'd play out of your buddy's bag or whatever. And that was like Gatwick and, and, and places like that, when you can like, go play a night round, uh, early in the week before the the open starts. And that's absolutely something that I think is worth doing. I just, for me, I would never want to carry my, my stuff across the ocean for fear. I wouldn't get it. And also because on the back end is when every year I'd go directly from there to, Royal Midway to play the all important (laughs) par three tournament. And, uh, I I needed listen. I don't need my clubs to play Gatwick or any of these other courses over there, but I need my clubs to play Midway. Well, I mean, I I, I got to have the exacting standards off those mats. You know what I'm saying? I'm
1: surprised the Royal Navy does <laughs> can't ship between royal destinations like that. You know, I mean, <laughs> you
0: think you think. I don't know. These are these are these are great points you make. But I mean, we don't have the event anymore, which is crushing. So now I uh, we just go direct to direct to Royal Midway, and we. Actually, this year we'll be we'll be watching uh, we'll be watching in the morning and then going out and playing our bit in the afternoon.
1: What uh, for the the year the Turnberry year with Tom Watson? What was it like after all that? I wasn't up? there that year. Oh, wasn't you weren't that there year. that year. That, Gosh. that was one of
0: the years I wasn't there, and I was. Um, I mean, I've heard stories, uh, I've heard that there's, you know, the legend goes that, you know, Watson was between clubs and the puff of wind, you know, came right as he hit what I want to say was a nine iron on the 18th. And maybe it would have been a wedge or it was either. I think he was between eight and nine.
1: nine, He hit eight, I think is what happened.
0: Right. And And it had he hit nine. I mean, if it stays on the green, if it stays up on top of that green, he, he, two putts and is the open champion. And I will argue that that would have been the greatest moment in the history of the game
1: it would be a really, really tough one to 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 top. I don't know what I don't know what the number the moment is currently, but I don't know if I'd be able to name one that would have been bigger than that one.
0: And you know what sucked about it is is that Stuart Sink is one of the loveliest people you'll meet in the world. He couldn't be a better man. He's a a, a wonderful husband and father and and, and a fine player, and he won a major because he deserved to. And it just – he became almost cast in the role as the villain because all anyone wanted was to see Tom do it. And then – he didn't, but I mean, I I was just watching um, uh, the same as anybody else. I was I wasn't actually there documenting that. Well,
1: one. the surprising thing about that, I mean, it'd be one thing if he was cast as the villain. If he would have ran him down and birdied the last four holes to really take it from him, but I mean, it was uh-huh. it was Tom's to win. That's the thing is like I'm not mad at Stewart for it. It wasn't his fault. I'm mad that he had to make that stupid bogey because it's still
0: yeah. It, I agree, and I mean, but you know what's crazy about that day is like Lee Westwood absolutely could have, showed yep. up If you go back to how many putts he missed, and you know, it, it, Sink made that putt a, a decent amount of time before Watson even got to eighteen, which that's happened a bunch here. Like go back to go back to when Ben Curtis made that putt, uh, he was he was like an hour. I want to say it was an hour. It might have been two hours ahead of the final groups, and he could have never known what that putt meant when he stood over it. But he, you know, and if he would have had to make it in the last last game, like, can you make that? Can you make that putt to win? I don't know. It's very different. I don't know. That's 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 the vagaries of of major championship golf. You know, sometimes not not that you get lucky, but sometimes the cards just come out of the deck in a certain way. And and to a degree, I think Sink benefited from that as well that uh, that day.
1: Is there a year that sticks out in your mind as your as the most memorable for whatever reason of all the years you covered the Open?
0: 2000 and Tiger, you yeah. know, just because of what it was, just because of what it was part of, you know, it was, it was um, the realization of what it was, you know, he, he had the slam at that point. He did it at St. Andrews. It was obvious going, he was going to do it, then he did. Just the feel, the feel something was, had, something had truly arrived. Not something that, you know, a phenomenon that you talked about. Like, no, this is, it's like if you, it's like if there's like a category five hurricane and you, you're, it's out in the Atlantic and you're, you're, you're tracking it. Well, now it's here, right? Like the eye wall has come ashore and that's where we were. This, this is happening right now. And it was, uh it was as advertised. I mean, he was. He was. That's actually not a, a bad analogy. Like, that's what it was. He was that Category Five, once in a lifetime thing that had had truly arrived in earnest. And at that point, you know, it was just a question of, well, how bad a storm is going to be. As it turned out, it was it was it was. The hundred-year flood, whatever you want to call, it, that's what he was. Well,
1: ironically enough, I think it was that Category Five that rolled in that Saturday at Muirfield that might have cost him the chance to win all four in one year, which I think is maybe. I mean, it maybe. really was. He was two back when he teed off that day, and uh, it never, never got another shot. No, like yeah, he,
0: he had he had no chance, yeah. and neither did anybody else that day. Which that year ended up being like a four-man playoff with like Thomas Lavey, Appleby, Ells, and Elkington and from. That's right. It was Elk was the fourth. And it was like, it was so, you talk about bizarre. You're like, you're like, how are we doing this? So it was like, are they going to go carts and like shotgun? Like, what is they it? They did two twosomes. Know, then, right. Exactly. Which is like, is that what we're doing? That, I mean, it was, it was, uh, that was an, ins- that whole week was insane. But I mean, you know, it's funny because like we could do this. And maybe people are into it. Maybe people like, could we move on to something else? But like, literally, that—that's the beauty of this event. Is I feel like there's so many years where there's a thing like that—not—not a four-man playoff, but just a memorable moment that happens that that is
1: part of the uh, lore of the oldest major. I'd I'd rather spend time rehashing memories than trying to guess what's going to happen. Like, we don't—we don't know what's going to happen. Are you kidding? Like, come on. (laughs)
0: No, but I, I, I'm always interested in this. Like, what, what story makes the best story? You know, those those things are are, are interesting to me. me. And you know, like a guy like a Fowler, not that there's pressure or, or whatever, but I mean, he's played so much really good golf in majors, so many really good rounds, and you know, another year would be passed without doing it. You know, things like that are interesting to me. Uh, like when. When's your time? Because I think we, I think in golf we make the mistake of of presuming that oh well he'll do it sure oh he'll, like I, you and I talked about this about the, um, the Masters I think just that when people just oh yeah well D- and Dustin Johnson oh he's too good like he'll win he'll win the Masters will he? <laughs> you think so? All right, well just keep, you know there's a really long list of guys that were gonna and didn't and so and I,
1: Tiger's on that is the crazy part like when he won fourteen would we be sitting around ten years later saying would he still be stuck on fourteen? Not a chance, of course not.
0: course not so i mean it's just all i'm saying is like when when your time presents itself and gary woodland's time presented itself and then he he made monster shots when they when they had to be made 14 is spectacular and the shot on 17 like he his short game was so bad and he had talked about it and you know cowan helped him and i thought that he he had such a cool line about how in the beginning cowan's like well we're not i'm not going to teach you that because do it yet. And he just sort of taught him the real rudimentary things. And then here he is on 17 with Kepka on 18 playing a par five. And he's got to know he's going to birdie it, right? Woodland knows he's birdieing that hole. And now he's got to hit this shot. And what does he do? It was his time. And in that moment, he didn't let the moment be too big. And so that's how you, that's how you do it. That's how you become a forever player, a guy that wins when that moment is presented. And you know, for somebody, it'll be their time. Um, I talked about that Mickelson putt at Muirfield a little bit ago. Not five years prior to that, I'd have bet you all the money I would ever earn in my life that he'd never win that event because he didn't know how to play the he didn't know how to play links golf.
1: And he said so too.
0: Of course he did. I'm quoting him. Yeah. Like he 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 said I can't. And then, like I thought he might be one of those like Scott Hoaxes. It was just like you know what the hell with that man. I'm not going to bother with that event. I, I don't want to go over there. I can't do it. And so for him to play not just that that round, but to play that round on that day in, in at Muirfield and you know chase down Adam Scott, a guy who could have should have won that event several times. Um, you know that's that's what makes majors obviously and the open um, you know, so so worth this kind of level of discussion because when you win them, and I'm so glad for Woodland that he did because we all, I mean, I don't know anybody in the game that doesn't have great reverence and appreciation for the dude. Like you you stamp yourself as a different kind of guy. Yeah. And, you know, that's what's thats what's great about just letting it happen, not trying to forecast it. Because how could you know that he was ready to do that, you know? I don't know that he knew he was ready no, to do it. for and then, sure. And then the, the time came and he was.
1: Well, I didn't want to. Definitely didn't want to put the. I figured you would go. Uh, Two thousand might be the answer, and I, I'd forgotten that you weren't there for Tom Watson. But twenty thirteen mm-hmm. is the year that kind of sticks out to me the most as a feeling like I watched something really special, and it's a so such a rewatchable open too that Sunday with how truly open it was coming down. It wasn't Phil was well ahead of the leaders when he, when he, when he shot 66 and won it with Westwood involved, Adam Scott, the year after he bogeys the last four holes to lose by one to Ernie Els. Tiger was in the mix there. Like all of the Poulter was in the mix. All the crazy storylines oh, no. there makes that one stick out to me as like one of the, 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 you can't like it's, we always want and dream of these huge leaderboards and almost never happens. And that was like maybe the best run of all the big names all at once.
0: It yeah they, they were it was a, it was like a melee a, a bar fight right? and all those guys were in the mix and you know you got Westwood who's who's there I want to say he had the lead and wasn't it like a year after uh, Darren had won and Darren Clark's win was awesome because it meant so much to him and I mean I, I, again this is proof of what the Open is you would mention Ernie Els kind of casually like he, there's no way he was going to beat Adam Scott like Adam <laughs> Scott was cruising and then he just the wheels fell off and Ernie won a major he had no business winning. But he also lost to Todd Hamilton at Troon <laughs> When Todd Hamilton was using that rescue club that that, that bronze Taylor made and he hit it from everywhere. He's hitting a scooper and he beat Ernie Els in a playoff. You're like, you gotta be kicked so like Ernie on balance should have won one of them but there's no way it was supposed to be against Adam and it was like it's, it's it uh, the, again I, I'm now I'm just stuttering and stammering just thinking out loud about the open
1: well wow, that was a weird little stretch there when it went Ben Ben Curtis Todd Hamilton and back-to-back years and then Tiger wins the next year at St. Andrews but what yeah, do you, and the, fo- go ahead.
0: The, the folks over there had a hard time with that man because like they, they take it very personally and so when these sort of you know, lot like these sort of Powerball scratch-off ticket Americans, and I'm not saying that to be dismissive. of And I hate that it feels like that, but like those guys, that's as as fine a moment as they ever had, and nobody saw it coming. And so, for an American of that sort of random kind of nature to win the Open. Like they, the writers, you'd see them and they'd be like, well, congrats. They always congratulate you. Like, oh, like we're going to go have a party with them. You know, Like, well, I was happier for Darren Clark than I was for them. I know Darren, you know, we've been friends for years when, when we were both kind of coming up or whatever, but th- that stretch of, of, like you said, Cur- yeah, Curtis and Hamilton, like back to back and neither one of them made any sense in theory, but
1: they happened. Curtis, I just pulled it up. He was the 393 ranked player in the world and then jumped to 35th after winning that tournament impossible what he did
0: that, that golf course was so freaking hard that week oh my what did he win? was he two or one
1: Ooh, uh, i'm not positive
0: two i don't know, whatever it was it wasn't much like you, you couldn't like there was no there were no red numbers to be found that day what uh
1: what do you think of tiger's kind of schedule i mean he's played he's gonna play i think by my count one event between one non-major event between all four majors this year and none none between the u.s open and uh the open championship what do you do you put anything in that
0: I do. I I I look at it like this, you know when the you know when the light in your car comes on and it's like you you know how much gas there is. Like you're like, can I can I drive all the way to work on this? <laughs> probably not, but I can probably get to the grocery store. And you know because you know, like the, the light comes on, it doesn't mean anything to you. But I know because this is my car. Like I can make it to work and back. But I I don't know. I think at this point tiger has a real real good sense of his body and where the gas tank is and i think that the way the schedule goes now in may uh, it's going to ask a lot of you early and you know you've got the memorial that's mixed in there as well where he's obviously played so well so his schedule will be challenging there and i just i don't think i don't think there's that many innings in the arm anymore. I just think you've got to really be patient. And this year, people pointed out it was it was chilly at at Bethpage, it was chilly at uh, at Pebble, and it doesn't figure to be you know seventy five and sunny at Portrush. So I think that I think that those make it really difficult on his back. So. I mean i'm just I'm guessing here spitballing, but I think it i i mean I think at least is sound
1: logic anyway, yeah, I kind of go different two different ways on it. I have a hard time picturing that he'd be in the best tournament shape without playing any tournaments leading up to it mm-hmm. yet at the same time, I look at it like you know who probably knows their body better than I do sitting in you know here in Jacksonville It's probably tiger, like he probably <laughs> probably he probably knows probably. what he's doing, that'd yeah. be my guess. Probably. But I think, yeah, it is kind of, you know, he would have probably had to play a course he wasn't, had never seen before just the kind of the way the schedule came out, fell out this year. And just, yeah, he, I I think to your point, he he definitely is trying to kind of figure out what is left in the gas thing. But I think that last point you made about the temperature and the fact that he addressed that at Pebble and said how big of a factor it was and, yeah, Huge. It's not going to be it's not going to be short sleeve weather, I would imagine, Mm-mm. at Portrush. No. So no, I think it's definitely a factor. I'm curious. And I, I'm not sure exactly how to how to ask this. I was thinking about this question today, but I, I'm not sure there is a question at the end of it. But you've been around so many athletes in your time and you've kind of seen what it takes to win in other sports to be great at, in other sports. And I'm just, i just was curious of like the LeBron, LeBron types, the Steph Curry types, compared to the people that win in golf and the things you have to do to execute in golf and how different that is. Do you have any pers- any perspective uh, with all the other sports you've seen as to how unique uh, winners in golf are? I'm not sure if that makes sense.
0: I think I understand it. I and I don't. Um, I don't. And, and here's here's what I think makes it so so interesting, is how often and. Like the Lashley story uh, when he won was different. And, and then Revy the week before, you know, you've got these monster leads. And so you're probably going to win. And because it's just you're too far in front. But go back and look at how often 54 hole leaders don't win. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean, I don't know the percentage, but it's it's enormous. And that's that part fascinates me. Why the. the being like the NASCAR analogy of the guy drafting off the leader is is actually in the best position and and, and why that is. And so the guys that are able to play from the front and win uh, impress me because they're carrying with them the weight of that, which I don't know how it's measured, but it's evident when you watch how, how events go. And... It's, I've heard so often, like, oh, when Ricky wins, he'll be a guy that's three or four back and just goes out and shoots a number. That's how he's going to win one. All right, well, maybe. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe he'll play from the lead and do it just because it's his week. You know, who knows for sure? And I guess that in other sports, it's, it, it seems easier to replicate what you do in terms of your approach and the results than it is in golf. Golf has the widest variance, shot to shot, week to week, Day to day, front nine to back nine, you know, and I—that's the part about it that I, I don't know if I'm answering it specifically, but I think that's where the great mystery in the in the sport lies. And everybody that plays can relate to that, right? You hit that one perfect shot, and then you know, same guy, same gal, next swing is sideways. Well, how does that doesn't make sense, you know? And and it obviously it doesn't happen to that degree to pros, but it it does to a degree because you know the the guy who plays flawlessly for three days suddenly. You know, it's those last stretch of holes and, and it just can't be done. Well, does that mean they choked? I don't know. I don't ever use that word, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it is that, that that makes the wires short circuit. And when it doesn't, and when you're a guy, I go back to Woodland again, who's mm-hmm. never been in that spot, but is on this venue with Kepka breathing down his neck and he doesn't blink, like to me... That's the fascinating thing, because that's where it's it's not LeBron or Curry, it's it's the new guy, it's it's you know Giannis or somebody like that that hasn't really ever been there, and then they they are able to to find it, and then they know they can do it. That, that's the part about athletics that's always and endlessly um, mystifying to me is belief and confidence, and and how do you get it and how do you keep it? Um, because when you lose it, and we've seen it in this sport for sure, when you lose it. There's no getting it back in some cases. And and why is that? I have no idea.
1: Well, I, I, the reason I asked you that is I just, you know, watching a lot of the NBA playoffs this past year and just, the you know, all the pressure moments. I, I just think of not that they're not under pressure, but how things are so reactionary. Like if you're if uh-huh. you're Steph Curry and you're driving to the basket and you have a decision to make, like it's just so instinctual. Whereas golf is like, I feel like it's the total opposite of that. And that you have to just put, there's so much thinking and it's all on you. Like there's no, there's no defense. There's nothing between you and the hole. it's just like, you got to figure it out on your own. And I just was, I I feel like there's not a ton of people out there like you, that are as big of golf fans as you are and also cover so many sports. I thought that might be an interesting question to ask. Well,
0: and and I understand what you're saying because clearly in in a moment, You know, Kawhi Leonard drives to the bucket. He's cut off at the baseline. He's got a guy who's open at the three-point line, but he knows that guy missed that shot. So, I, I'm going to pull this and try to get to the free throw line because it's a better option. And all that's processed in three seconds, exactly. Whereas I just hit six iron and I short sided myself, and I'm gonna, I have 180 yards to walk to think about what I'm going to do, and then when I get there, I got to think about well. I don't know this rough is this the lie is that I'm not that confident I I got a two putt here cuz the next hole I haven't birdied all week and if I do that I'll be a shot back right like all of this stuff is being processed and all you have is time to think about it like it's 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 a total opposite to to you know <laughs> the hoop analogy but I do still believe that there are the commonalities of of belief and confidence and leaning on that when when the moment is asked for it, you know? Yeah. Like Rory told me this year at uh, Sawgrass, you know, I got up on 18 and he just, he said, I have great confidence in my driver because when I, when I use it, I just hit it as hard as I can. Yeah. And it's like, that's what's better. The idea that I'm just going to tee it up and I'm going to swing as hard as I can. And what did he do? He hammered it. Hit a perfect drive with all that trouble on the left. He didn't see it because it doesn't matter. I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. Well, that's the confidence and that's born out of the repetition and belief and whatever else. And that is common in you know all the very best athletes is their their belief that the moment's not going to be greater than their ability.
1: All right. We're going to get you out of here on this very last question. You may have already answered it with some of the other topics we covered. But the feeling, the the opens that I've been to, the feeling I've gotten is just I, I feel like the only way I can describe it is I feel like I'm in a special place. I just feel mm-hmm. like a as a kid, you know, watching it for so long and actually getting the chance to see these places, it just felt really special to me. I'm curious of all the ones you've seen or all the moments you've had. Is there one moment that sticks out to you as being an extra special moment? doesn't even necessarily have to deal with what you witnessed on the golf course or a special shot. Just kind of a, I can't believe I'm standing right here and I get to do this right now. Moment.
0: I, I watched Nicholas walk down, uh, walk down 18, uh, at St. Andrews needing a birdie just to finish off the round and thinking like, like, have you, you've been to St. Andrews, and mm-hmm. you know, like, the, there's those seagulls that just never seem to stop squawking, right? And there's, it's late in the day, and the shadows are a certain way, and the town is just waiting to greet them, and the seagulls are sort of chattering to themselves, and it's like you're looking down that amphitheater at the, the greatest major champion there's ever been, and, you know, in, in the perfect story, he makes it and raises the putter one last time, but he didn't. And the fact that he didn't to me is sort of like this great metaphor for golf. Like you're the, you're the greatest that there's ever been. And this is the home of golf and you don't get to, you don't get to write that walk off, you know, cause you got <laughs> Doug Sanders here when he missed a two footer that he should have made to win one and it changed his whole life. Yeah. You know, so you don't always get that. Per- so like the, the story ends with kind of a dud, but to me it doesn't. And just, being there when, when, when Jack was there for the, the that and being there when Arnold came over for that last time and it was clear his health was failing and him talking to Rinaldi in tears to me was really, really heavy because it was a man who knew he'd never be back there and it was a place that he knew launched his whole, really, the ethos for who he was and, and made him this co- world-conquering hero, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, seeing him there, and again it was the same time frame it was late in the afternoon and it was you know it was it was the lion and winter you know but you you just you remember the roars of uh, that he you know created and and i don't know both it's, to me it's not it's not an accident that both are st andrews as much as i love a lot of places over there you know that's the that's the stage uh and and having had the chance to be there and and call um you know, call golf from the open sitting next to Tom Weiskopf one year on the road hole. It's like, you know, how the hell did, how did I not get sort of weeded out? You know, did they not check my passport or credential and go, what are you, who are are you? Get the fuck out. You're, you're, you're you're that guy that had a 2.0 or not even or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's those moments were many, um, at the open, um, and just in taking inventory of life and the things you get to do and the places you get to go. So, yeah, um, that's well said. I don't know. I've ram- I've rambled no. a lot in this one, just because the open for me is just it's it's a uh, it's really honest to God. This is like if I had a trunk full of memories, which you let me open up and sort of sift through. And I maybe I'm not doing the most efficient job of it, but it's just because there's so many things there that are uh, that are like you painted the picture. It's just it's special. That's yeah. well put.
1: Well, that's that's what I wanted to get out of this. To be honest, I, I could care less about trying to pick the the low. You know. Low man, low American. What any of Good, all? Good, because I don't
0: have any freaking Yeah, clue, it's like, man. come on,
1: you, you've been to how many of these, and you have some really, really a great insight on them, and I love hearing the stories about it. So now I, I can't wait to hang up here, so you can tell me who the American was that stumbled out of the pub. So
0: I will <laughs> hang up and call. Hang up and, and call me back, and I'll tell you, and then you can look it up and laugh.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks, Scott. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us, and uh, look forward to closing closing out major seasons. Kind of sad to do, but uh, appreciate you sharing some memories.
0: Uh, this was it was my pleasure. You're great at this. I told you that last time. Keep doing your thing.
1: Awesome, thanks, man. Cheers. Thank you.
0: Be the right club. Be the right club today. I yes. mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.
1: expect any